Amen. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter number 29, please. Isaiah, chapter 29. And this morning's sermon, we're going to read verses 1 to 8 and then have a word of prayer. Today is a, the, today's sermon is not the typical outline that I would preach. I don't have three points and a poem, and then on we go. We're going to do, address a certain topic and just bounce around a little bit in the Bible. This is our jumping off spot here, our diving board, if you will. We'll get right into the deep end of things. But by the grace of God, I'd like to preach to you a sermon today called Happy to be Hungry happy to be hungry and I can tell by the look on some of your faces that's already confusing you right how can you be happy to be hungry but by the grace of God we'll explain that as we go Isaiah 29 and verse number one the Bible says woe to Ariel to Ariel the city where David dwelt add ye year to year let them kill sacrifices Ariel this is the only place in the Bible that you find this name used for Zion or Jerusalem. It was more like a Bainam, a nickname for that, that city. Now they have gone away from God. And you're going to see in the passage God, is, he, he must punish them for what they've done. But that's why the call for sacrifices. Add up the years that you have been rebelling against God and bring the necessary sacrifice to assuage the wrath of God. Verse 2, yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. So Jerusalem has grieved God, and now God says you are also going to feel grief. Verse 3, and I will camp against thee round about, and will lay siege against thee with a mount. And I will raise forts against thee, allowing Gentile armies to come and besiege them. How many of you grew up reading Dr. Seuss? How many of you, you, you know who I'm talking about, Dr. Seuss, right? The cat in the hat. You got, don't be shy. You can admit that you read Dr. Seuss. He's not wicked. Those aren't wicked books or anything, right? I will not eat them with a fox. I will not eat them in a box. I will not eat green eggs and ham, said Sam. I am Right? Remember that? If you say it right, it sounds wonderful. I will not eat them in a box. I will not eat them with a fox. You can really preach it. <laughs> say, why bring that up? This is just for interest's sake. I cannot read verse 3 without thinking of Dr. Seuss. And I will camp against thee round about and will lay siege against thee with a mount. Every time I read that in my Bible, because it rhymes, I can't help but think that Dr. Seuss somehow snuck into the King James Version. I don't know. Now, you say, Brother Mike, why did you tell us that? Because the next time you read it, you'll think of that. <laughs> you'll never forget it now. Verse 4, And thou shalt be brought down and shall speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust and thy voice shall be as of one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust so this mumbling gurgling type of sound those that are that have been destroyed in in war verse 5 moreover the multitude of thy strangers shall be like small dust and the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as the chaff that passeth away yea it shall be at an instant 
suddenly. In other words, there are going to be so many Gentile soldiers, these oppressors, these attackers, they'll, like, they'll be like the small dust, innumerable. They'll be everywhere. Verse 6, Thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. So it's, made, it's clear. God is going to, he's going to level a great punishment against Jerusalem, and he did. But verse 7, you're going to see a shift in the narrative. Watch what happens. It says in verse 7, And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, even all that fight against her and her munition and that distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. Now, there have been many nations that have come against Jerusalem, starting with uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, the Media Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Many people have fought against her. And, and each time these Gentile oppressors had in their mind, we are going to utterly destroy and completely conquer these Jews. We're going to either wipe them off the map or we are going to be permanently uh, leaders over them. We are going to oppress them permanently. And God said, these nations that have this idea in their mind of utterly destroying the Jews, wiping them off the map, they're dreaming. That's not going to happen. In verse 8, it shall be, it shall even be as when an hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. So what I'd like to do is preach to you for a few minutes about happy to be hungry. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask for God's help this morning. Father, thank you for this privilege to stand and preach the Word of God. Lord, it's very rare that we would say we're happy to be hungry. But I believe, Father, with all my heart, if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we will be filled. And we can't be more happy than that filling that you provide. Please, God, speak to our hearts today. Show us the great need for this spiritual hunger. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some years ago, many years ago now, I uh, was given a free minivan. This was right about the time that uh, my family and I got started on our deputation work in America. We were traveling around all over the United States visiting we ended up visiting 120 different churches in 20 months all we did was drive almost every day somebody gave us a free minivan it had a massive dent in one side of it where somebody had smashed into the into the van it, it didn't happen with us in the van obviously it was given to us like that but praise God what a blessing that somebody handed me the keys and said here's a free minivan so that you can travel the country with your, at the time we had just the two kids, you guys can travel the country. It doesn't look pretty, but it runs fine. And I thought to myself, the dent in the side is theft protection. Who wants to steal this beat up looking minivan? But it did run very, very well. And 
We spent, like I said, eight to 10 hours a day, at least five or six days a week driving. That's all we did. So I got, vi- that became home. Honestly, all, everything we owned was in that minivan. When we stopped at a hotel, we would just take the necessary clothes into the room and then we'd go back into, the, into our home, our mobile home, and off we would go. One night, I don't remember where or exactly when, but one night I had a dream. And in this dream, I'm driving down the road in this minivan, because that's pretty much all I did. And as I'm driving, I heard this loud trumpet sound. Unmistakably, it was the rapture. Now, I didn't realize I was dreaming, obviously, right? I'm in the middle of the dream, and I think, oh, here we go. Here we go. And I could see people flying up towards heaven, one after another, foom, foom, foom. And I thought, oh, here goes. That's the dead in Christ. Any moment now, we which are alive and remain, here we go. And I'm listening for that second trumpet sound, right? Because at the rapture, there are two trumpet sounds. The first one wakes the dead, and the second one calls those who are alive and remain. Off we would go. So I'm driving down the road going, oh, here it goes. And boom, the second trumpet sound. And oh, I felt it in the dream this massive change and I thought Ooh. you know I got the warm fuzzies I thought, oh, this is it and off we went my family in the van and we're flying up to heaven and I thought oh this is it this is the I was so excited and then I realized wait a minute I'm still in the van the van had also received a glorified body <laughs> In the dream, God had changed the van and was taking the van to heaven. And this is why I've never forgotten the dream. I remember the massive disappointment that I felt when I realized this isn't real. This has to be a dream. God will not take my minivan to heaven. And I actually woke up, my heart racing from the excitement, and at the same time, my heart sinking from the disappointment that it wasn't actually the rapture happening. Say, Brother Mike, why share that story about that seemingly silly dream? What a horrible thing it is to have this great expectation, to have this desire for something to happen, then find out there's no way this is real. There's no way this is actually happening. To have this appetite to go to bed hungry, to go to bed thirsty. Dream about eating. You're dreaming about this satisfaction that you've been craving only to wake up and realize, I'm not satisfied. The satisfaction that I was seeking isn't real. And I fear that there are too many people that are sleepwalking through life. They are for, they're fulfilling a dream. They are in this dream state and they think that my life is going to satisfy me. Things are working out the way I like. But the problem is one day they're going to wake up. They're going to wake up and, and strangely enough, it might be the day that they die that they finally wake up and look back at their life and go, that wasn't satisfying at all. I thought I'd get more out of this life. You see, for these Gentiles that had been trying to attack Jerusalem and destroy it. 
they knew. You can read it in, in some of the minor prophets and some of the major prophets. You can read where these Gentiles came against Jerusalem and they said, God told us to attack this town. They knew that. They knew that Israel was supposed to be punished and that God was allowing them, these Gentiles, to do the punishing. They knew that. But here's the problem with each one of those Gentile nations. That's all they knew. They had heard a whisper that God would use the Gentiles to punish the Jews. And the Gentiles said, that's all we need to know. We'll take it from here. We will now do the destroying the way that we want to do the destroying. And instead of doing exactly what God wanted them to do, punish the Jews and then stop there. God said this in the book of Zechariah. He said, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was a little displeased and they helped forward the affliction. God said, I had a plan to use you Gentiles to punish the Jews, but you guys went way beyond what I had in mind. Now, do you understand how I'd like to apply that to you folks personally? God has a plan. There are things he would like to do in your life, things he wants to see accomplished, such as saving your soul and then conforming you to the image of Christ. And everything that happens in your life needs to fit into that plan somewhere. But what happens is we say, okay, God, I got it. You want to help me. Okay, from here on out, I will just make up the rest of the plan. And we get carried away with our dreams and our goals. And here's what I think God should do in my life. And we go beyond what God has, in our minds, we have this false idea of what God should accomplish for us. So much so that as we're going, we get disappointed and even angry at God. God, why aren't you fulfilling all my dreams? It's because it's your dream. It's your plan. It's not what God had in mind. And one day you wake up and go, wow. I wish I would have known exactly what God was trying to accomplish so that I could get on board and enjoy the journey. But as it stands, I've been, as, and you know, they use the phrase living the dream. In this case, it's a bad thing. They're living in this dream state. It's just not reality. In the passage that we've read, they went to bed hungry, but they woke up and they were still hungry. In the dream, they had eaten and were satisfied, but when they woke up, they had not been filled. Now, I find in this, I find in this something that connects to what Jesus said. He said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, that's the promise of Jesus Christ. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you shall be filled. These folks were hungry and thirsty but they did not end up filled. What's the problem? They were hungering and thirsting for the wrong thing. You have to hunger and thirst. You have to desire. You have to crave. You have to dream for what is right. You say, but Brother Mike, I don't see anything wrong with the things that I'm planning to do, the, the accomplishments that I'm trying to achieve. What's wrong with them? If it doesn't line up with what God's trying to do, it's not the right thing to do. 
to be hungry and thirsty after righteousness if, if I can make this connection for you. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, the kingdom of God and righteousness go together. Righteousness is a big fancy word that simply means what is right. Well, what is right? Who gets to define that? It goes together with the kingdom of God. But what does that mean? The kingdom of God is in operation when God is in control, when the will of God is being performed. Now that can be true politically if an entire nation allows itself to be governed by God's rules. There is no nation on earth that is doing that. So politically, you don't see that happening today. You will one day when Jesus comes back. But the kingdom of God can be present in you personally. It can spiritually be happening if you surrender your heart as a throne on which God can sit and say, God, not my will, but thine be done. Not my dreams be fulfilled, but your dreams, your plans, your purpose. Let me go by that. If a man or a woman is hungry and thirsty for what is right, they don't wake up and go, oh, shame, how disappointing. I lived my life for God and for Christ, and now look, it was, you are promised to have a fulfilling life if you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Jesus said, you shall be filled. And by the way, not only in the future, Yes, that promise is true that when the kingdom comes, Jesus will make the wrongs of society right. Yeah? He will satisfy our longing for justice. This is true. But even today, you can walk out the door with satisfaction in your soul. God can fill it with what it desires. Let me ask you to turn your Bible to John chapter 6, please. John chapter 6. And let's get verse number 31. John 6 and verse 31. John 6 and 31. Jesus is speaking to a group of Jews whom he has just fed, by the way. He fed the, the 5,000, you might remember, plus the women and children. Then this group comes back to him because obviously they're expecting another free meal. And Jesus gives them, you might look up at verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. So now they're having a conversation over appetites. What are you hungry for? Are you hungry for something physical and temporary, the things of this world, or are you hungry for something spiritual and eternal? Where are you putting your efforts and your passion and your heart into? Now, come on down to verse 31. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, these are the Jews speaking to Christ. And they're right. They're telling the history of their nation. And in the Old Testament, Moses right, was the leader. And at that time, manna came down from heaven. So, so they're, they're on par here. This is right. Verse 32, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, first correction, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. Let's just get that right. It wasn't Moses. 
Moses was the leader, and yes, he prayed for you, but it was God that provided those, that, that physical sustenance that you needed. You should acknowledge that it is God who provides that food you eat, right? Your daily bread, it is God that provides that. Don't take that for granted. But then Jesus adds something else to this. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So what Jesus has come to do, what the Father is offering through sending His Son is not equivalent to that physical manna that fell to the ground and they, were t- they could eat it, but then they had to go out the next day and eat it again and eat it again and eat it again. It always left them hungry the next day. Jesus says the Father is now offering you the true bread. This is something much better than just that temporary pleasure, that temporary satisfaction. Verse 33, for the bread of God is He. You see the personal, He, not it. The bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Let me ask you this, does the world not have life? Think about that statement for a moment. Sometimes we read through these verses too quickly. If you were standing in the crowd and you heard Jesus say this, that God has offered this bread from heaven to give life unto the world, you might look around and think to yourself, what do you mean life to the world? I I see life all around me. The trees are alive, the flowers are alive, the bees are buzzing, the dogs are barking, people are moving about, there's life everywhere. What do you mean life unto the world? They're missing something. The world's missing something. Deep down, the world is hungry for something. And it goes beyond. It transcends this physical everyday life that you see with your eyes. It goes beyond waking up, eating breakfast, going to work, coming home, eating it, going to bed, and repeating, repeating until you die. There's more. To, that's not the life that God intended. That's not all he intended. That's part of it. There's something so much more. Verse 34, Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now I am not, I don't want to over, overreach here. I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what prompted them to ask this. Are they thinking that eating this bread right, will physically take care of their hunger for the rest of their lives? Do they think it's a physical thing? Or do they really understand everything that Jesus has just said? Evermore give us this bread. I don't know if they fully comprehended what Jesus was offering. But I'll gather this. From the request that they're making, they know. They may not be able to explain it, but deep down they know they need something more than just physical bread going in their mouth. And it's been my experience that every human being, deep down, they have that yearning, that craving. They know that there's something more to life than just nine to five, put food on the table, and then one day die. There's something more beyond the physical, beyond the temporary. There's got to be. Yesterday, we were out on the streets witnessing, and a young man asked me, he said, uh, Pastor, I have a question. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve. No? I said, yes, he did. And then Adam and Eve, they had Cain and Abel. I said, yes, that's right. And then Cain killed his brother. I said, yes. And you want to know where Cain got his wife? And he said, that's it. 
I don't know why. They always frame the question starting at the beginning with Adam and Eve. They never just get right to the question. So we dealt with that. We answered that question and then I, I, I continued on. I steered away from Cain's wife because I even told him, gentlemen, once I answer this question, will it help you get to heaven? He said, ah, no, but we still want to know. <laughs> Fair enough. I answered the question. I said, back to the gospel. And the same gentleman, there were two of them, he, he stopped again. He said, Pastor, I have another question. Why did God make us? Now that's a better question. That's a better question. That's a better question. I like that. I said, well, the answer is actually in the first page of the Bible. The Bible says that God made man in his image after his likeness. Why did he do that? Why did God make man in the image of God? God didn't do that with anything else that he made. The plants, the trees, the fish, the fowl, the beast of the ground. Not until Adam did, did you find anything, would you find anything made in the image of God. Why? Because we have the image of God, we are able to, listen to this word, relate to him. We can relate to God because we share this image, this built-in image. Now, that word relate, do you see how it turns into a relationship? We are able to relate because we bear this image. This tells me why God made man the way he did, in order to have a relationship with him. That's the reason God made us. He built us for that. Now, deep down, when, when Jesus shows up and says, God is offering you bread from heaven, something deep, you may not understand everything involved in that offer, but deep down, that speaks to a craving beyond the cravings of your belly. That speaks to the craving of the heart or of the soul and says, hey, I was built to walk with God I was built to fellowship and relate to him and because of sin that relationship has been broken I don't have that fellowship but there's something in me that won't be satisfied until God and I are back on the same page I need to be reconciled I need to be made one again with God so Jesus says in verse 35, he said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. What a statement. I seriously doubt that the Jews in the crowd understood just how powerful this offer was. As a matter of fact, as you read on, they begin to argue with him. Say, how can that be? What are you talking about? You came down from heaven. You're the bread. How could you satisfy? Now see, we're 2,000 years on the other side of the cross, so it makes more sense to us. But for somebody who first hears the gospel, it might, it might be shocking to know that this yearning deep within my heart, this, this void that I, I feel in my life, I feel like something's missing. What I need to fill that void is not a thing. It's not a bigger paycheck. It's not greater food. It's not a big house. It's not a, a family, a job, a career. It's a person. 
I need to fill that void with a relationship because I was built, I was created to relate to someone. And until that relationship is right, I will continue to feel this hunger and this thirst. I will continue to have this void. Jesus says, I can satisfy it. He dies on the cross. He pays for our sins. He offers a way to get back to God so that the sins can be forgiven so that fellowship can be restored and he says if you eat of this bread you'll never hunger you'll never thirst what's he saying you're going to be satisfied you know what we sang this morning I chose the song on purpose hallelujah I have found him whom my soul so long has craved Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood I now am saved I want to say this I'm satisfied with Jesus in in every possible realm in the past I'm satisfied that my past is taken care of it is under the blood it cannot be dealt with any more than it has been dealt with God has justified me not because my works were fixed Right? Not, not because I finally made all of my rights wrong or wrongs right, sorry, said that backwards. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the sins are paid for. So I'm satisfied that my past is fixed. I'm satisfied that my present is exactly where God wants it to be, that the Holy Spirit is working in me day by day, changing me to become more like His Son. I'm satisfied with that. I can't ask for anything more out of my life. That's what God desires. I'm satisfied with my future. I have a promise that because the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, that because He's working in me one day, He will also raise me from the dead completely conformed to the image of Christ. Not just inside, but also outside. My eternity is fixed because of Christ. Hallelujah, I have found Him. I'm satisfied. Do you understand how I do not need to eat any other bread? I don't need to add to Jesus. I don't need Jesus plus Muhammad. They say that he was the next prophet that came and finished that. No, I don't need any other bread. You eat of Jesus and that's enough. I don't need Jesus plus a bunch of good works from me. I I just need what Jesus did. It satisfies that eternal craving to be one with God. But, this is one of those fantastic ironies of the Christian life. Jesus says, you eat of me, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. Yes, in the eternal sense, I need nothing else to satisfy my soul. I'm saved. However, Salvation creates a different kind of hunger. Let me introduce that one to you. Come in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. My reconciliation is complete. The Bible says I am, I am complete in Christ. So in that sense, satisfied. Never going to hunger again. But watch what it says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. It says here, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to, what? Salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You'll never regret getting saved. Amen. 
You'll never go, oh, shame, I shouldn't have received Christ. (laughs) You never regret that. Verse 11, for behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, and watch this next one, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. There was evidence of their salvation. Now, we don't have time to cover everything mentioned in the verse. I want to draw your attention right to the middle there. What vehement desire. That word that you read there, desire, that same Greek word can produce several words in English. Let me give you a few of them to draw the picture for you. We could say vehement desire or a strong hunger. You could say a longing for something. You could say a yearning for something. It could also be translated or understood as an intense craving. Now, Jesus said, eat of the bread, which is me. I'm offering myself to you. Eat of that, you'll never hunger again. But you see how eating of that bread satisfies that eternal need for my soul and at the same time works in me. That's where we read it wrought in you. It works in me a different craving. And now I have this hunger and desire Not only to say, thank God I'm saved, I don't want to be just saved. Isn't that true for you? You don't want to just be saved. If you're saved, that means you're born again. You're a child of God. Wonderful, but wouldn't it be better if you got along well with your father? There are plenty of people in the world that have a dad that they don't get along with. Wouldn't it be nice if you could enjoy the fellowship with your father? So now that you know you're saved and born again, it creates a desire in you not only to know God, that was satisfied in Christ, but I want to know him better. I want to learn more about him. We have a song we sing. I couldn't sing it for you today because some of the notes are too high. But more about Jesus, amen? You remember that song? More about Jesus would I know. Eating of that bread, which is Jesus, creates a desire, a vehement desire in me, a hunger to know more and more about the Lord. You can think of it maybe this way. In John 10, Jesus said, The thief comes not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundant. I get saved, and you know what I say? Thank God I have life the real life the true bread but now I'm seeking for that abundance the Holy Spirit lives within me but now I want to be filled so in Ephesians Paul says it like this he's praying for his converts that they might be filled with all the fullness of God can I tell you another way to say that hunger and thirst after righteousness God show me what is wrong in my life with the plans the goals the dreams that I have the desires I have show me what needs to be changed so that I am your version of right because I want to put a smile on your face I was created to enjoy your fellowship 
Show me what I can do to have more of that. I don't want to be just saved. I can remember after I received Christ, I, I experienced this vehement desire. Shortly after I got saved, we started, Christina and I, we started going to the pastor's house every night of the week. We'd knock off from work. We wouldn't even go home. We'd go straight to the pastor's house. We would have a prayer, short time of prayer. We would fold gospel tracts and head out to the streets. We would tell people about Christ for two or three hours every evening. And then we'd go back to the pastor's house and I would ask him Bible question after question after question after question until about 11 o'clock, 12 midnight, just Bible questions. And I was learning so much. I was just soaking it in. And then we'd have another time of prayer. We'd head back to the house. I'd get home and I'd open up a concordance. Now a concordance is a, is a special book. We don't really have them anymore because we have uh, apps on our phone and our computer that do the job for us. But a concordance has every word of the Bible. Right? You can look up the word resurrection or the word uh, son or whatever, whichever word you want to look up. It will tell you everywhere in the Bible that word appears. Man, I looked up every word that I could. Any word that popped into my mind, I would run all the references. I would stay up till two or three in the morning studying, looking through all those verses. We did that for six months straight. Every day, seven days a week, we were at the pastor's house. Bible questions, church services, witnessing. The pastor took me out at 10 o'clock on Saturday night, knocking on doors saying, hey, you remember this past Tuesday? We met you uh, in a parking lot and talked to you about the gospel. Just wanted to invite you to church. Now, let me just tell you, that's not the best way to get people to come to church. <laughs> None of those people that we, that we bothered on Saturday night pitched up for church the next day. So we probably needed a little more wisdom, right, to balance our zeal. But I, I and it wasn't only those first six months after that time, six months after that, Christine and I headed off for Bible school. Five nights a week, from 6 p.m. till 10 p.m., I was in that Bible school, soaking it up. Oh, man, verse by verse, learning things in the Bible, learning things about the Bible. Oh, I just couldn't get enough of it. And then on Saturdays, we'd go out to the streets and we'd witness, we'd open air preach, I'd sing in public, pass out tracts. And then Saturday night, you'd have a prayer meeting with somebody. Sunday, we're in church all day. Three years straight of this stuff. Couldn't get enough. From time to time, throughout my Christian life, there have been times when I, my soul, I, I feel that vehement desire, that yearning, that craving, I want to know more. And I'll tuck myself away in a prayer closet somewhere and say, God, I'm not moving till you show up. And I remember clearly those pivotal times in my life when God showed up and made His presence so real I was afraid to open my eyes because I thought He was standing right there physically. <laughs> like one preacher used to say, I didn't want to move because I was afraid to spook the Holy Ghost. <laughs> oh, those times are so precious when God shows up like that. Can I ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2? You'll see it again in 1 Peter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Look with me in verse number 2. 1 Peter 2 verse 2. 
The Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Do you see the word desire in there? As newborn babes desire. He didn't say, listen carefully. Listen carefully. He did not say you have to be a newborn babe to have this desire. Do you see that? A lot of times we read this verse and we say, oh, that's for new Christians. Well, yes, a new Christian can be helped by this verse. But you don't have to be a new Christian to understand this and to apply this as newborn babes. See, I've been a Christian for 20 years, been a Christian all my life. Okay, well, then you should still have that hunger, that thirst for righteousness. To say, God, make my life more right. How do you do that? Show me more of you from your word so that I can become more like you. Intensify the fellowship. Create a stronger bond. He says in verse 3, watch this. There's no full stop at the end of verse 2. Do you see that? The sentence continues that you may grow thereby if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious do you see the two aspects of this hunger you, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good what's that salvation you got saved and your soul is satisfied I'm saved I'm reconciled I need not eat any other bread that's done but that tasting of the Lord created a, another desire to learn his word and to grow and get closer and closer to him now I want to share another aspect of my Christian journey with you because I have found that several several of you have either experienced it or you are presently experiencing this this yearning craving to become more like Christ eventually the devil started using that against me here's what happens you feel this desire I want to know more I want to bring my life more in line with righteousness but then the closer I get to God the more I realize I'm still hungry I still want to know more there's still more to fix I'm not completely conformed to his image. I still need to change. The work is not done. And pretty soon I start to get very upset and frustrated with myself. And I think, how am I ever going to be enough? God will never be happy with me. Why would he fellowship with me? There are so many things that I still need to change and still need to learn. And God, I'm trying, but I'll never achieve what you want. And I'll never be what you want me to be until I'm dead. And the devil starts using that and says, see there, Mike? You don't know enough about God. You're not right enough. You still have that desire to know more, but you don't know enough yet. And pretty soon I start listening to that and I get frustrated and say, but God, this, uh, no matter how much I seek you, I still have to seek you more. It's never enough. And I start to get frustrated and think, I must be doing it wrong. Because no matter how much I try to reach out and grab a hold of God, He's always one step ahead. I, I just can't grab Him. 
I can't reach that. Let me explain it like this. In 1 Chronicles 16, verse 11, it says, Seek the Lord, seek His strength, seek His face continually. Now that verse by itself doesn't seem so bad. But think about this. If you have to seek His face continually, doesn't that mean you'll never find it? You see, if you only read that verse, you might think that. There's another verse in Jeremiah that says, if you seek the Lord with all your heart, you'll find him. Now, watch how, what happens when you put these two verses together. Seek the Lord with all your heart, you'll find him. That's a promise. Seek his face continually. Well, if I find it, why would I be seeking it? Do you see the problem? If I seek it with all my heart, I'll find it. But then if I find it, why would I continue to seek it? <laughs> I found it. Job done. So the devil, you see, he takes what I know about the scripture and he says, you see there, you must, you must not be seeking him with all your heart. You must be doing it wrong. You must be dreaming. You must be thinking that you're living the right kind of Christian life, but evidently you're not because you're constantly seeking. So you must not be doing it with all your heart. And I, I find myself in this endless loop of, oh, I gotta do better, I gotta do better, and I get tired. Frustrated and begin to beat myself up. Until one day the Lord pointed out to me, there, there's two, two ways you can think about hunger. Let me ask you this, just naturally speaking. Will you ever remove hunger from your life? Be careful, think about your answer. Will you ever remove hunger from your life? Well, yes and no. Right? Here in about an hour and a half, I'm going to be pretty hungry. <laughs> and after the bride, I will remove hunger from my life. <laughs> but then, a few hours later, I'll be hungry again. Do, do you see how this works? If you want to talk about hunger in a long-term sense, looking at it through a long lens... I will never remove hunger from my life. It will always be a part of my life. It will continue to pop up. But from time to time, I will satisfy that hunger. Yes? And if you cook the breifles properly, you will want to come back for more the next time. Haven't you ever been to a good restaurant? Sat down, the food was good, and you go, sure, it was lecker, lecker course. And after you get done, right, you're done. You're full. I think you guys say, Ekus <laughs> duk. I'm, I'm, I'm thick, right? I'm thick. I'm full. Versarach. I'm, 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 it's enough. You can't keep eating. Listen, you can't keep eating. Not right there in the moment. You've, you've, you've been filled. You know what you do? You go on and you use those calories. You put them to good use. And then when you're hungry again, because the food was so good, you think, whoo, maybe we can go back to that restaurant and get some more. You know what it's like in your journey with God? You have this vehement desire, this craving, I want to know more. So you come to church, you get fed. You go, man, that was good. You can't be here all day. You can say amen there. I won't be offended. You can't be here all day. You, you need to go home. <laughs> and you need to put into, use what you've learned burn off some of those calories so you don't get spiritually fat apply what you've learned in your home at your workplace in your own heart and then when you say oh man that was so good I feel hungry again let, let, me, 
let me seek his face again then you come you can do it in your prayer closet you can do it in your own private place where you read your Bible you can do it as you fellowship with friends you can do it in church but you seek his face continually throughout the rest of your life you'll always be seeking his face and you'll find it over and over and over again you know what you do after you find it you go man that was so good but I can't stay here I've got to walk out of my prayer closet I have to leave the church I have to do something with what he's taught me but I know I get to come back and eat again and he'll feed me over and over again Uh, we have a song that we sing I think it's one of our favorites one of my favorites in the garden you guys are familiar with this song let me read the third verse to you see if this rings true I'd I would, I would stay in the garden with him. Though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go. Through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. Have you ever paid attention to that verse? Do you understand what's going on there? I'm in the garden alone with him. We're having this fellowship. But he bids me go. He says, now that's enough you need to go but but Lord I I finally got close to you I've been seeking your face I'm I'm hungry for you I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness and I finally feel as if I've drawn nigh and you have in return come close to me can't we just stay here all through the night and he says no I'm sorry, there are some other people that need to know what you've learned. Go tell them. And as you go, it says, His voice to me is calling. As you're walking out of the garden, after spending that precious time with Him, you know what He does? He says, hurry back. I'll see you again soon. Do you see how you can seek His face continually? and the promise that if you seek him you'll find him both things are true it's just two different aspects of hunger you'll never remove that long term hunger you can satisfy the short term hunger over and over again do not think that because you have this continual desire to get closer to become more right in God's sight don't think that you failed don't beat yourself up and go but I'll never be enough Listen to this statement. The desire for God, this craving you have for God, the desire for God is what God desires of you. Do you understand that statement? This desire you have for God is what God desires of you. you say, doesn't he want me to reach the finish line? You're, the, the finish line, that's when you're done on earth. What God expects of you now is that you continually press towards the mark. That's it. He wants you to be hungry. And you should be happy to be hungry. That's a good thing. That's a good thing if you feel that craving. A couple more places and we'll be done. Come to Psalm chapter 42. Say, but Brother Mike, there's so many things I still need to learn and change and I want everything in my life to be what God considers right.
that's a good feeling, a good craving to have. And don't think that God will never be satisfied with you until you get it all fixed. The fact that you're hungry for that pleases God. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We all know what God thought of David. A man after God's own heart. Do you, you can see in the words of David the intense yearning, craving that he has to draw closer to God. You wouldn't read this and think, oh, shame, David's such a failure. David, you know, he has this desire to know God, so this means that he doesn't know God that well because he's still seeking after him, so shame. He's not where he needs to be. We, we don't read it and think that. We read this and conclude that David is madly in love with God. You know what happens when you're madly in love with someone? You can't get enough of them. You just want to be around them. Right? That's a compliment. You are paying God a compliment to say, but God, just if I could do one more thing for you, if I could know one more thing for you, speak to me again, spend more time with me. Don't think that you failed because you haven't fixed it all yet. That hunger you feel is a compliment. Take your Bible, come to Proverbs, the next book to the right, Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27 and verse 7. It is a great compliment to God that you continually hunger and thirst for His presence and His righteousness. This verse will take it a step further. The full soul loatheth and honeycomb. You know, in Psalm chapter 19, the Bible is called a honeycomb. The, the words of the Lord are like honey and honeycomb. And you can be so filled with the world's things that you take for granted the word of God but look at the end of verse 7 but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet why would hunger be a good thing why would you be happy to be hungry because if you are so interested in watching God work in your life and teach you and build you and conform you if that is your desire watch what happens even the worst of situations the most bitter circumstances that you have in life become sweet and as you go through the valley of the shadow of death rather than fear you begin to rejoice and say the Lord is still near me I, his rod and his staff he's going to protect me he's going to take care of me this bitter situation is going to allow God to do something in my life he wouldn't have otherwise had a chance to do I get to learn more about him so Paul said tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us so when the trouble starts we go oh man this isn't so nice it's a bitter pill to swallow but I'm so glad I'm going to get to see God do something and God will prove to me once again how much he loves me so that spiritual hunger 
it actually allows you to look at life very differently than somebody else who's not saved. They would go through the same trouble and have nothing but frustration and complaints and why does God do this to me? You look at it and say, what is God gonna do for me? What am I gonna learn about him through this? Happy to be hungry. Happy to be hungry. Take your Bible, one last place, Psalm chapter 139. Come back just a few pages. Psalm 139. I, we begin this morning in Isaiah chapter 29 and I read you that passage and we ended up there talking about a hungry man dreaming a thirsty person dreaming about satisfying those appetites but when they wake up they realize it's a dream and they're utterly frustrated and disappointed and what I want to prevent is any of you getting to the end of your life waking up and go wait a minute I thought I was living a life worth living. Turns out, I am just feeling regret. I don't feel satisfied. Man, I thought I had it right, but I never took time to check what I was doing against what God expected. God offers the true bread. I want you to search your heart today and say, have I, have I experienced that? Have I eaten that bread? Do I feel that vehement desire to grow closer and closer to Him? And what am I doing about it? In Psalm 139, at the end of the chapter, verse 23 and 24, I want to invite you to pray exactly as David prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is inviting God, watch this, saying, God, here I am. Please inspect me. And if there's anything wrong in my life, make it right. Make it right what is this it's a hunger and thirst for righteousness God I don't want to make my life right according to society standards I want it to be right according to your standards what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul the man who gains the whole world he might look at his life and say ah I'm living the dream. And one day he'll have a rude awakening. God, I thought, I thought what I had was enough. Turns out I missed out on the true meaning of life. God created me to relate to him. And the only way to do that is through Christ. He gives me that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You invite God to do this. God, please show me where I'm wrong. Make it right. The promise from Jesus is, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you shall be filled. You get filled with that temporary sense of satisfaction that I'm doing as much as I can in the moment. And you also have that eternal satisfaction that Jesus dwells within and I can feel him working. That is a life worth living.
Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Give you a moment to... I would invite you to pray as David prayed. Search me, O God. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And God, you tell me how I can make the wrong right. Jeremiah prayed it like this. O Lord, correct me. Isn't that nice and simple? O Lord, correct me. That is an example of being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That desire will be fulfilled. You have the promise of Jesus on it. You go about life trying to force your plans to work. Even if it does work, it won't be satisfying. That's not why God made you. When mankind sinned, they lost that relationship with God. A void was created by that sin. And only through the death, burial, and resurrection can that void be taken care of. I ask you folks here today, I ask those of you watching at home, have you received the bread of God? Have you eaten of what God offers? And for those of you that have, don't feel as if that craving you have to know more and more, don't, don't look at that as some sort of a bad thing, that you're failing because you never reached the prize. All God expects is that you keep pressing towards it. You being hungry for Him is the best compliment you can give Him. And even the bitter things become sweet when the soul is hungry. Father, I do pray this morning that if anybody that's been listening, whether here or at home, if, if they've never eaten of that bread and tasted and seen that the Lord is good, please, Father, I pray today you would impress it upon their hearts just how much they need that. Lord, I want to thank you for that spiritual hunger that you have built into me, into us, into we that are saved. Lord, for so long I was so frustrated thinking that I just wasn't enough, but Lord, all you want me to be is hungry. And I'm so happy to be hungry. And the time that you allow me to spend with you is so sweet even the bitter times. Father, for those that are going through some of those bitter times, might you make them sweet with your presence. Thank you, Lord. We can enjoy this journey. One day we will get to see you face to face. But before that time, we can enjoy this journey. He walks with me and talks with me. 
you are satisfying. Father, thank you for what you've done in our hearts this morning. I pray you'd bring us together again tonight, even in the virtual format, hungry to learn more from your word about you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.